0: All right, cats and kittens, we are back with another very special stay at home self-quarantine episode of the Brando Cast. God damn it! I have not seen my guest today in far too goddamn long. We used to have a little writers group together that included such such heavy hitters like Laura House and Guy Branham and Christy Stratton.
1: Marquita Robinson, I don't know if you were there when she was there or not. She's a co-EP on Blackish now. So, you know, apparently we did great things for lots of people, Brandon, except for yourself and myself.
0: (laughs) Yeah, except for me and you. Uh, That voice you're hearing is the author of the 2012 culinary memoir, Recipes for Disaster. But more importantly, she also wrote the 2020 novel Under the Tuscan Gun. She is a real deal writer. She's written on television shows like At Midnight and The Soup. And God damn it, is she a comedic talent. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome Miss Tess Rafferty.
1: Applause, 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 hold for applause. Thank you, Brandon. It's great to be here.
0: <laughs> I am, uh, you're, you're, where are you going? You're all dressed up. What's, what's happening?
1: Um, you know, this has the illusion of being dressed up. Um, this is what is known as a nap dress. <laughs> it has taken women by storm, uh, this summer, uh, they cannot keep them in stock. They come in several different fabrics and styles. Um, but yes, it looks very fancy., um, but basically it is just a rouge top, so you do not have to wear a bra. I mean, you know, not that they haven't become optional in the last year and a half of our lives anyway, but um, but yeah, these little fluttery things at the top make it look very fancy and zoom. so. But from the from the uh, from like this down, it's just all like prairie skirt and whatnot.
0: <laughs> Can you buy the nap dress at Old Navy, Gap, Banana Republic, H and M? Where does or Anthropology? Where does one go to get a nap dress?
1: Um, one goes to this company called hillhousehome.com. dot com, and uh, you know. I have found I don't know about yourself. I have found I will do anything to keep myself amused for the last year and a half that we've been doing this. Right. And it takes on different forms at different times. I um, I had, you know, that Martha Stewart selfie of her coming out of the pool last summer. Um, I had that put on a, a pillow for my husband, um, you know, just, just whatever it takes. And so a friend of mine bought a dress from this company and, you know, all of us in this little group of friends really like thought it was cute on her. So we all basically got matching dresses more or less, <laughs> like we're grown fucking women. This is how the red hat society, that group of, you know, postmenopausal women who all wear red hats. That's how this, this that's how this gets started. So, um, you know, we're all, we're all 40 something year old women wearing matching dresses now. There you go. (laughs) But they're comfortable.
0: What's more important?
1: Comfortable and stylish.
0: Yes. Built for comfort, not for speed. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Honestly, I have not seen you or talked to you in so long. I know. Just give me a quick sort of update about everything that's going on in your world. And, and, And again, I know that you released your last book. Basically, a year ago, yeah, um, under the Tuscan Gun, available on Amazon, people, yes. Um, so, just bring me up to speed.
1: So, I did do Under the Tuscan Gun last last fall, um, which is uh, for those of you at home, uh, a delightful, uh, funny murder mystery uh, set pla- that takes place in Italy, and um, that is basically like me with my friends solving a crime, um, solving a murder, which is really my dream because you know I grew up. I grew up in the 80s, Brendan, with all the TV shows like Moonlighting and Remington Steel and Heart to Heart. So I truly thought the most romantic thing you could do was to meet a man, fall in love and solve murders together. <laughs> like, ah. that was all I wanted to do. <laughs> so I uh, grew up, I don't have the discipline to solve a murder, or, you know, become a detective of any sort. But I did write a book. I have the discipline for that, um, that someone had died on, you know, on a somewhat based on a true story vacation my husband and I took not, no one really died, but I pretended like someone had. So, uh, and then I followed it up with a novella last Christmas because a lot of, uh, mystery series kind of do little standalone novellas that take place around the holidays. It's a very British cozy tradition. So I did one last year called Buon Fatale about the same group of characters in Rome for Christmas and someone dies. And, um, now I'm finishing up, I hope to have it out by October sometime the next, uh, book called the red, the fed and the dead, which takes place in Bologna. This is going to be a full length. It's not going to be a novella like the last one. And then I'm just, you know, I'm developing stuff for TV. I'm working on a couple of pitches right now, actually, you know, and, um, some some with uh, with an Italian company, which is kind of exciting. It's all part of my plot to get out of America at some some point in the future. and um, yeah, anyway that that's mainly it. Just I'm you know'm I'm, I'm doing the I'm doing the grind like everybody else.
0: You also fought the good fights. Uh, you're a revolutionary, you're an activist. you you use your voice. To fight the evil forces in America. So, um,
1: and here at home in Los Angeles as well.
0: Um, how are you feeling these days, uh, in our current climate?
1: Um, I will definitely, you know, definitely more relaxed. I mean, you know, I, I think that there's, there's two things at work here, politically speaking. Right. And, and one is that we're obviously a very divided country and, um, And the schism is becoming more so, right, because the schism right now is like on over facts and science. And there's no real way to, you know, meet halfway over facts and science, right? We can't say, well, 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 like some of what you believe that is completely baseless and and proven to not be true. We'll pretend like some of that's true. You can't do that. Uh, You know, unlike like, you know, it used to be that it's Republicans and Democrats were like, I want a bridge. I want a school. Like, let's, you know, see what we can hash out. Um, I mean, that's an oversimplification. And and it also, you know, it also takes away from the fact that like, no, we had a lot of issues that we dealt with in the past that were really about people's lives, their livelihoods, their civil rights, their voting rights. Um, You know, I don't want to oversimplify that. But you know, right now, like it's like right now on the day to day, I feel good. I feel like, hey, we have like we have you know grown ups um, steering the ship, and they listen to science. And they, I, I truly believe whether or not I always agree with everything they do, I truly believe that that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want the best for everyone in our country. I believe that they have you know the experience like how how nice it is to have someone with experience who's not treating the presidency like an entry-level job right they 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 know how to the sausage is made and how to get things done and and i think they you know showed us that but i think that there's like this looming threat it's like a you know one of the first three star wars titles or something (laughs) you know the phantom menace out there it's not so phantom but it's You know, it's it's going to get it's gotten ugly and it's going to get uglier. And when 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 we have a political party in power, you know, um, not, you know, not in the executive, obviously, but the Republicans have a large wield a large amount of power in this country. And, you know, they're basically telling us that, you know, they don't care. Uh, you know they're siding with the Taliban. Uh, they're they're telling us they they don't care that insurrectionists tried to kill them. <laughs> you know it's kind of bananas. It's kind of frightening, and um, so you know it's we're we're in for it. I feel like mentally I'm taking a bit of a break right now because I know it's it's going to get terrifying.
0: I have to say, every time I see uh, Ron DeSantis on television, I, I want to throw a brick through the TV screen.
1: Yeah. You
0: know what I mean? Yeah. I'm finding that I'm getting a little bit more agitated, and I don't know why. Um, I have to wean myself from CNN and MSNBC. That, that is for absolute, uh, for sure, because... All they're doing is just creating stories to agitate people. It's not about the just the yeah. simple reporting of the news. It's all designed to stir up controversy and get clicks and create a viral clip uh, where Biden does something good, and then they have two Republicans on to scream about it. Yeah, and ho- hope, hope hope that pops on Twitter. So I'm exhausted. The other thing I'm exhausted from going back to your original point about under the Tuscan gun. Um, there's so much murder in my life. I am dating someone who literally has seen every single Dateline in all its iterations. So that's what we do at night before we go to bed. We watch Dateline. (laughs) (laughs) We watch Dateline. Uh, I don't know who's my favorite, Josh Mankiewicz or Keith Morrison, but it, there is so much murder in my head now. I never watched these shows. 2020, uh, there's one called um, 48 Hours, you know, because in the first 48 hours of a crime, yeah. that's the that's the optimum time to find the killer. Um, but Dateline, 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 all day. So at night, I'm dreaming about murder.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm not kidding.
1: You know, no, no, I, I get it. I, I am not one of those people people. And and I do find this tends to be a very female thing. Like all of my friends are so into murder shows. They love those documentaries. Um the more tragic the better. And I I need a wrap up, right? I need to know like, okay, by the time I finish this, the bad guy's gonna get caught and I can go to bed. Um I I have found in the last year and a half my tolerance for um, assholes in television has like gone way down um, I, I had to stop watching Ozark I was the third season I was like all of these people are terrible why do I care what happens to any of them and, and I finally you know like secession billions like everyone got upset obs- like, like you understand that you take a picket sign out and you yell at these people all day long and then you come home and you're just glued to their stories on TV like you you understand the the weirdness going on with this right like, why do we care what happens to that family? I, I don't know. Um, you know, that's it's why, you know, things like British Baking Show and Ted Lasso are so popular. And I mean, give me a comedy or or a nice murder mystery where the bad guy gets caught at the end.
0: Um, After four episodes of Dateline, I swear to God, the only thing that can calm me down is an episode of Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm dead serious about that because I just want to see someone make a, a cheeseburger. Yeah. Now, you brought up a really interesting point. Because th- I've been thinking about this because of my uh, my current relationship and her love of murder and her love of murder shows and any reality show that has to do with murder. You said it. Why do your lady friends love these shows so much? Give me your theory.
1: I I don't I don't know that I have one to be honest with you. I, I don't know if it's like
0: I think it's a thing. Yeah. I honestly think it's a thing.
1: I, if if they feel better, like if I'm seeing this happen, it means it won't happen to me. If they think they know, now they know what to look out for. If they just like the drama of it. um,
0: Well, what to look out for is your fucking husband or your boyfriend. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Cause that's, who's going to kill you every single time on all of these shows. If I've learned one thing from Dateline, it's your significant other who's going to fucking kill you.
1: Uh, No good friend of mine said, Like he was he was talking about it when I when I was breaking the most recent murder mystery. And I just want to say for your audience, if you're listening, um, Tess isn't this slightly hypocritical of you because you do write murder mysteries. My murder mysteries are funny, so I feel they're handled with a lightness. Um, But but my friend was saying he was like, it's always an insurance policy. I've seen enough of these things. It's always an insurance policy. Never get an insurance policy. It means your husband's going to kill you.
0: No joke the Dateline Secrets Uncovered that I watched before going to bed last night was a woman who killed her husband. She was a socialite. He was like a real estate developer. He had a, an insurance policy for $2 bucks. She got an ex-boyfriend to blow him up in a fucking car, and she promised him four hundred grand of the $2 million settlement, which she got, even though all signs pointed to her, And the long story short was the way that she got caught was they eventually, they knew the the other guy was involved, the ex-boyfriend. And when they nabbed him for something else, they found hours and hours and hours of tapes of phone calls because he recorded all of their phone conversations as he tried to extort her for more money. So he would call her and be like, Hey, you know, no one else on the planet would fucking blow up their, you know, blah 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 so you you should send me some more money and uh it, it was kind of a kind of an amazing thing but you know she got the initial payout and she lived for 10 years on it so you know
1: uh, well so frugal too I mean for a socialite to live on you know, not even two hundred grand a year because he got four hundred k, right? So I mean, you know, one hundred and forty grand a year. She lived one hundred and sixty grand a year. She she lived on. That's not bad.
0: Well, she took her act to Switzerland. That was part of the story. She <laughs> left Aspen uh, to go to Switzerland and, and find another dude. Wh- where they... is
1: not cheap though. <laughs> like, <laughs> like seriously, if you can make one hundred and sixty grand a year, stretch in Switzerland, I want to see your budget.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Enough ketchup. Let's have a fucking fun time today on the Brando Cast. Yes. No more politics, no more murder. Today with Tess Rafferty, when I asked her to come on the Brando Cast, I said, what do you want to talk about? And Tess was like, oh my God, there's so many things I could talk about. But I kind of want to talk about New Wave a little bit. I kind of want to talk about some of the songs that inspired me when I was, oh, maybe a year or two younger. So without further ado, we're going to do what I would call Tess Rafferty's New wave mix. Tess, what do you want to call this collection of songs?
1: This collection of songs is really so so I think in certain there's certain moments in your life where you hear a song or a band and you go, "Oh, this is what I always wanted music to sound like, and I didn't know it. Like, this is what I've been waiting for. Like everything else has been kind of garbage. And thank you, this is what I wanted. So, when I think about like what those moments are, these are the five songs I think about. And some of them aren't necessarily even, you know, my favorite bands or my favorite songs by the band. But they're like a, like a gateway. Like I heard it and I was like, I need to know more about you. Um. Or this is so. So that's why I put together this. That's that's why I put together this list because yes, I was incredibly indecisive. I was having a lot of stress. Your I don't know if your audience wants to know or not. I was having a lot of stress. I, you said P- who's your favorite artist or band, and I was like I cannot tell you that. That's like asking me what my favorite wine is. (laughs) Um, Like, and then you were like, okay, have a favorite genre. And I was like, well, kind of like a new wave indie alternative thing. But like, I have like a broad topic for that because like in my head, new wave indie alternative are like the same thing. And I would include like, um, you know, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, that album in that, you know, even though it was done decades, you know, 15 years before. Right. So I have, I just felt a lot of panic at it. And then you're like, give me your favorite new wave songs. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna fuck this up. And even when I gave you the list that I gave you, as soon as I sent it, I was like, I don't have any Smiths on it. I don't have The Cure on it. So that's that's who I am.
0: Rebel Rebel is a song by English singer-songwriter David Bowie, and it was released in the UK in February of 1974 as the lead single from Bowie's Diamond Dogs LP. Uh, It was Bowie's last single in his signature glam rock style. It is one of his most covered songs of all time. Rebel Rebel. All right, Chess Rafferty, tell me, what does Rebel Rebel mean to you?
1: Um, You know, I think the most amazing thing about David Bowie, and I would put him up there in one of my top, one of my top guys, one of my top artists/slash bands, um, is so much of what he did is an anthem for weirdos, as an anthem for freaks, for people who don't um, who don't fit in. Um, you know, I think that when you hear his music and you're a teen or preteen, and that's what you're going through, it's like you feel really seen, and and I think Rebel Rebel to me is is the epitome of all those things. Um, you know, just, it's, it's a great song. I'm all about something you can dance to. I don't like sad music. Um, you know, my husband and I all the time have arguments about Harry Chapin. I'm like, you know, Harry Chapin is like what you put on when you're just getting ready to fill the house with gas. I think like it's, it's, fucking awful. Um, and so, um, anyway, so like, I like music that's upbeat. I like music you can dance to, but I don't like quote unquote dance music. I'm using quotes here. They can't see that at home. Um, so it, to me, it's like rebel rebel is like the perfect synthesis of all that stuff. It's like, you know, this is for you. You can, you know, you can, uh, you could dress how you want no one can understand you you cannot fit in and hey you can also dance to this um i you know it's it's it really speaks to that time when clothing was made up of like ripped everything and safety pins and converse and mini skirts and or you know uh combat boots you know we all shopped at i goldberg army surplus for our wardrobe and you know Now
0: wait a minute time timeout i gold i goldberg that's philadelphia where did you grow up
1: I, I that was for you uh there brendan i wanted to give you wanted to give that region a shout out i'm from delaware
0: I I did not know that i didn't know that because the, there was an i goldberg in center city uh, in the 80s uh that was fucking amazing uh, was there one in downtown wilmington
1: Uh, There was one in Newark um, or, you know, I don't know. I mean, Delaware is so small. There's really like you're either from one part of it or another. It's everything's close together. It's like, you know, Van Nuys versus Reseda or something. Um, But but yeah, my first concert was David Bowie, at veteran stadium. Uh, Unfortunately, it was the Glass Spider tour. Um, Not his best, but Squeeze did open up for him. Um, and then I later saw sound and vision at the spectrum, and that was awesome because he was just there to like hear the hits. <laughs> like it was it was almost transactional, but very, but like exactly what you wanted. Like, I'm not gonna fuck around with a new album <laughs> just to hear well, everything you wanted to hear.
0: I want to know. Um would you call? would you label yourself like a new wave kid in high school?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think again, you know, it, it's it's I'm always reminded of this line from Square Pegs with Johnny Slash when um, they won't let Devo play at Muffy's bot Bar- Mitzvah because it's punk music and they don't want people to mosh or something. I mean, this is going way back. I probably saw this episode once when I was about nine years old, but I still remember it. And Johnny Slash just goes. But Devo's not punk. Devo's New Wave. Everybody knows that. And so, like, that's what I hear in my head when I hear, like, were you a New Wave kid? It's like, you know, like, again, especially when you look back over time, it's like New Wave Indie alternative college rock was a popular title for a lot of the same music. It's like, you know, where is R.E.M. in this? And where's for that matter? And we're going to talk about this in a minute. Where's you too, right? Because you too started off as this very big, different college rock, you know, alternative music sound, and now the millennium millennials are calling it dad rock. You know, <laughs> fuck you.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. Well, uh, the reason I ask that uh, how you label yourself is I want to know if it was tough or uh, tricky to be a new wave kid in Wilmington.
1: I think probably starting around seventh or some of their eighth grade. Um, a lot of the, you know, my, my schools were generally preppy kids and everything. Um, for, for whatever reason, um, everybody started getting really into the Grateful Dead, you know, and this is, you know, late eighties, you know, so it's kind of like, I don't know. What's funny is when I heard the, when I first heard the name Grateful Dead, um, and I had, my aunt was born in the early '60s. She's my, my my mom's youngest siblings, and we were really close growing up. So I heard a lot of the music she was listening to, some of which I loved and some of which I didn't. You know, um, she was like my indoctrination into the Beatles and the Doors and stuff. Um, and for and I never heard the Grateful Dead from her. So when I first heard everyone talking about the Grateful Dead, and you know, given the name, I thought, oh, they must be like heavy metal or something. And then I heard them and I'm like, there's a bunch of rednecks. <laughs> like this is just fucking country music. And this is what everybody's like raving about at school. And, and then I would come to have an appreciation for them. And I went to some dead shows, you know, before Jerry died and all that kind of stuff. But, but I was just kind of dumbfounded because it wasn't, it sounded like your parents music in, in the worst possible terms. Right. Um, And, and so again, back to the fact that I really just want music that has a good beat that you can dance to. Like if I can Molly Ringwald to it, you know, that's all I want out of life. So, so I was definitely, you know, I, I want, I wanted music that didn't sound like anything else. Again, like I heard, you know, I remember hearing Modern Love which was the second single off of Bowie's Let's Dance, right? Let's Dance being I think the first one and I was like, "Oh, this is fine." But Modern Love and I was like, dun, 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 dun. you know, like I was like, "Oh, this is great." And then that made me go like, "I need to know more about this guy." And then I found the early stuff and I was like really blown away. But also the like it's funny like we would have school there was a lot, you know a lot of different school dances at the time and there was this one school that would have this teacher DJ. And he was amazing. Um, And he, it was like, you'd hear modern English and melt with you. And you'd hear the talking heads. And, and you'd also hear stuff like Billy Idol, which again, I don't know where he goes in all of this precisely, Uh, but, you know, but B-52s and The Cure. And so he, this teacher was just like, you know, here's some shit that you should know about. That's really fun and different. And I guess, you know, new wave, um, and uh yeah not um not popular with a lot of kids
0: well i will say this as someone who was in college when the whole grateful dead thing fucking exploded and as someone who spent his summers on the corner of south and second in philadelphia where half of south street sold grateful dead shit it was just a cover to do drugs that's it <laughs> That is it. They provided a quasi safe space. They could turn the Philadelphia spectrum or Alpine Valley, Wisconsin into a safe place for mostly rich white kids to do drugs and, uh, have that experience before it was time to go take over daddy's business. You know what I'm saying?
1: Oh, Oh yes. I, I think my very first dead show, I started dating a guy. You know what? Guys are always almost always bad news when it comes to music. I, there are some guys with great taste in music, but it's never the ones you date who suddenly want to indoctrinate you into whatever it is they love. And and so I started dating this guy who was really into the dead. And and again, they're fine. And we went up to see the dead in high school at the spectrum. And we went with this other couple. Who's a nightmare. Sorry, go ahead. Yes.
0: No, I guarantee you. I was there.
1: Uh, pro- probably, um, yeah. mm-hmm. you, may, you saw Scott and Heather because, um, they fought over the bong, the whole way up to the show. <laughs> like he was driving, but he kept telling her to like hand him the bong and she didn't want to. And they were yelling, but of course he got it anyway. And then they immediately went off to go score acid, you know, as you do in a parking lot. Cause that's safe. And then she spent the rest of the night saying that, <laughs> saying that like she overheard somebody say, <laughs> it was like Woodstock Brown acid sort of a thing. She overheard someone saying that, um, you know, they got this acid and, and they were going to die, and she thinks it was the acid she got. <laughs> uh, so we had to deal with that. And then at one point, someone did spill something on my foot and it burned through my tights. So that was a little weird. Yeah, I don't know what that was. What? Um, yeah, it was like it, it, it the liquid went through my tights and actually stung my stung my foot. Um, anyway, it was it was a dream. It was great. It was awesome.
0: Sunday Bloody Sunday is a song by Irish rock band U2 and it was the opening track from their 1983 album War. One of U2's most overtly political songs. The song's lyric described the horror felt by an observer of the Bloody Sunday incident in 1972 when British troops shot and killed 13 unarmed Catholic protesters in the Northern Ireland town of Derry. You two were aware that when they decided to record Sunday, Bloody Sunday, that its lyrics could be misinterpreted as sectarian and quite possibly place them in danger. They trudged on anyway, and along with New Year's Day, the song helped you two reach a wider listening audience. Uh, God damn it, did I love you two. I was still in high school when war came out, and I vividly remember buying that at the Sound Warehouse on the corner of San Mateo and Manal in Albuquerque, New Mexico.
1: Oh, oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, this was an MTV song for me. And remember they had that video at Red Rocks that of this song, it was the first time I'd ever heard you two. And, and, you know, Bono had that haircut where it was all short on the kind of the long Mohawk sort of thing going on down it, down, down it, um, down the middle. And I just remember hearing that song and it was like, nothing I'd ever heard before, but I was like, I want my music to sound exactly like that, this, you know, and, and he was hot and different and alternative looking. And I remember like going up to the TV and being like, what is this? Who is this? How do I get more of this?
0: <laughs>
1: you know, it's, I, it's such a great song. And and I love that there's, there, the, the, there's something just so, Irish about it like you know Not quite okay now I'm going to mix up my Scottish And Irish a bit perhaps but it's Like they make their guitars sound Like bagpipes You know that refrain comes in and it's Like if you drew, gave guitars to Druids it's like this is what They would have done if they had an electric car And not a lute 800 years ago They would have you know done you could see Like it's such a great refrain in there So I just you know It still resonates with me and I'm like oh yeah This is a formative song for me well, I
0: have, look, I'm going to use this little platform. I'm going to jump up on my soapbox and I'm going to say, you know what? If you don't like you keep your fucking mouth shut because they are truly incredible. I was lucky enough to see them back in the day. They are transcendent live. They are almost Bruce Springsteen level live and hearing bloody uh, Sunday, bloody Sunday live. Every show they play it, it's anthemic. The entire crowd gets into it, you might not understand the message of it because they weren't taking a side in the Irish strife. They weren't taking a side in the Troubles. I'm not saying this to test. I'm saying this to everybody else. They weren't picking a pro-Catholic side or an anti-Protestant side or, a, a, you know, they were just saying the strife in Northern Ireland has to stop. Uh, they were worried about being labeled a rebel band, as they said in, in the opening in uh, Red Rocks. This is not a rebel song, but... Um, God damn it, do they stand the test of time? And I cannot wait to see them again.
1: It's um, it, you know, I always say about you two, um, that like, you know, all of your great bands. It seems like they've got the one album that just transcends everything and is like the standout. Like with the police, it's synchronicity. You know, it, it not not like you can't enjoy their other albums that are not full of great songs, or you might prefer them, but that was like the album that like everybody got behind. Every song as a hit, and you know, and The thing about U2 is they have more than one. There's like three or four that, 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 that broke out in that way and that were fantastic. And, um, you know, and that's hard to do. It's, it's, I, you know, you know, whatever they, they, they kind of, uh, screwed it up a little bit when they, with the, whatever the album was that everyone got on their iPhones. But, um, Anyway, yeah, but you know, it's it's like you know, listen to it, and uh, I feel that I feel like what you're saying about you too. It's like them and like people who say they hate the Beatles. I'm like, you probably also voted for Jill Stein. I don't, you know, <laughs> you're that asshole. You, know? I, <laughs> if you hate I, the Beatles.
0: I get that people can't deal with Bono sometimes because it it sounds like he's sometimes he's Pope Bono or he's yeah. Prince Bono or whatever. But I mean, they are one of the last great. Truly great rock bands. Um, and if people haven't seen them live, yeah. you have to. Even current day, I went a couple times on the last tour when they, you know, redid The Joshua Tree, which, as you said, is another transcendent record. Yeah. You know, sometimes you only get one. They had Joshua Tree, Octung Baby. Um, I think War is that album for them. But God damn it, are they incredible live. And uh, Why did they
1: so- an atomic bomb? And then the one... amazing. Though, and I feel like there was two back to back later on. And how to dismantle an atomic bomb was one of them. And um, uh, was that the Beautiful Day album? I'm look now. I'm looking in my. I'm going to my iTunes. All that you can't be behind was another one. You know, like really, like and those I think were back to back. And you were like, okay, well, this is going to be the one for a few years. And then the next one came out, and you're like, oh my god, yeah, they're uh, they're really good. Fight me on it.
0: Blister in the Sun is a song by American rock band The Violent Femmes, and it was originally released on their 1983 self-titled debut album. If you went to college in the 80s, you heard "Blister in the Sun" five times a fucking day. <laughs> "Blister in the Sun." What does this song mean to you, Tess Rafferty?
1: So, um, Brandon, as you and, and perhaps many of your viewers are familiar with, the idea of the mixtape, right? When we would we would pass around these tapes, and they would just have songs on it, and there was no digital information to tell you what the song was or who it was by, and you just you know, and you you taped it off as of someone else, off of someone else, and the quality got worse and worse, and so I remember maybe even being at camp i think <laughs> and someone having this album on you know, on a cassette tape and also um interestingly enough uh the dead milkman's and camaro was on the end of it so for a long time i thought the violent femmes sang and camaro anyway that that's how it happened back in the 80s folks like we didn't know again we had no metadata and um and so I just, again, I just remember they they played this album and, you know, blister and the sun's the first song. And again, I was like, where do I get more of this? This is incredible. Um, nobody, you know, it's one of those things like, nobody's talking about this back in my dumb school, <laughs> what? you know, you could dance to it. It's like all these songs that you can dance to. They've also got like an anger to them a little bit. Like you, like, you can get out some real aggression, Um, they're not so angry that it undermines the music, but they've got a driving thing that it's just this like great outlet for all the things that are pissing you off and making you angry as a teen that you have no outlet for.
0: Where was camp? geographically in the United States of America, where was camp?
1: Oh, it would have been Delaware too. It would have been like a summer camp, like not like not Maine or we weren't, we weren't those kinds of people. Like, yeah. My, I would have loved to have been anywhere else for the summer than, than, you know, Delaware, but we, we weren't, we weren't like the wasps who that's what you do with your kids all summer long. Unfortunately. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was the Jersey shore a part of your uh, existence growing up as a teen?
1: Oh yes. But that, um, but yes, I hated it. It's terrible. I still like have flashbacks and nightmares to it.
0: Specifically but, Wildwood, Seattle city, Avalon, Stone oh, Harbor, well, where? I, well,
1: you know, Wildwood, mm-hmm. um, we, we would sometimes traverse into Cape May a little bit, but my, um, my father preferred the beaches in Wildwood cause they were wider Cape May. The beaches were too short and that pissed him off for some reason. Um, we we have very specific forms of, of like, like, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder in my family. We want things exactly how we want them. So, uh, yeah. So it was Wildwood. Um, not, not my favorite time, but interestingly enough, and I don't want to skip ahead. Um, but I have to say that like one of my runners up was synchronicity two from the police's synchronicity album. And, I'll never forget the summer being in Wildwood, the summer that every breath you take hit the charts, right? Because we didn't have iPods, you know, people really, you know, we, it was like everyone had a boom box on their blanket or their, their towel and you could just walk down the shore and you would hear that song coming from everywhere a couple of times a day. It was just awesome. Yeah.
0: And down the boardwalk, yes. pizza, t-shirt place, weird uh weird bar <laughs> pizza t-shirt place weird bar they're all playing synchronicity that uh, i mean a thousand percent it's th- we we don't even have that cultural experience anymore No, because there's, there's so much stuff to consume but back then there wasn't and every breath you take was fucking everywhere it
1: was everywhere that summer and it just like you know, crawled up. It just went up the charts, stayed there. And it was just like, I hear that I'm like walking on hot sand. <laughs> like that yeah. immediately takes me back.
0: Can you just, for the people uh, listening at home, can you, can you give me Tess Rafferty's take on Wildwood specifically? Can you just sort of sum it up in your own language?
1: Wildwood is where all of the the people would meet to have unprotected sex that would give us Snooky and the rest of the cast of the Jersey Shore 20 years later. Um, you know, it, it's I hate to to I hate to bag on my own people because there's something inherently very Italian to me also about Wildwood. Um obviously in the in the Jersey Shore too, there's something very it it's you know, very it's where um it's where Italy meets rednecks. <laughs> It's like, you know, um it's it, you know, it's it's
0: Yeah, well it's it's our fathers fought father, the second World War, spent their weekends on the Jersey Shore, <laughs> and Italians and Irish from Pittsburgh and Philadelphia generally went to Wildwood. Yeah. M- more Irish people went to Avalon and Stone Harbor, but yeah, it was those immigrant because my family, my Irish family from Pittsburgh, the lore is that we actually owned a lot of property in Wildwood back in the 50s. But someone made a bad business decision and uh, and blew it all.
1: It's 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 the tacky it's it's the high hair and the hairspray and the tacky clothes um, and the bad accents and the cigarettes. It's it's everything terrible. It's not like the little, you know, the the preppy enclaves of Stone Harbor, Cape May. It is. um, Yeah.
0: It's a party. It's a party.
1: It's a a very tacky party.
0: (laughs) Number 13, Baby, is the 11th track from the Pixies' groundbreaking 1989 album, Doolittle. The song was not released as a single, but it's been a heavy part of the band's live shows since the late 1980s. This is my you pick my favorite Pixie song, uh, and I believe I had Black Francis on this podcast uh, a little over a year ago, and I believe that I uh, uh, explained that to him off air. Uh, number thirteen, baby. It is the song that is in playing in my head at all times. Why did you pick uh, this song?
1: You know this is this is a really interesting thing because I mean, first of all, start to finish, this album is amazing. Um, I was supposed to go see, um, probably about 10 years ago or so Remember, the Pixies came to LA and they were playing this album, um, specifically start to finish. I'm so excited. I got an awful bronchitis, like just terrible that knocked me out. Like I could, I could not go like, it just wasn't, it was not, I, I was not going to make it. And so I had to give my ticket up to somebody else. So I never got to see it. Um, I what's funny is, so I was, I, I know that this was my favorite song off the album. And although I love, a, I mean, obviously so many are great. Right. Um, and I was listening to it again yesterday and I was, and I was like, God, what, what was it that used to set the song apart for me from the other songs on the album? Cause they're all so good. And, and I was trying to kind of get back in touch cause it's, I, I, heard this album in college and I just remember, you know, something about maybe it's just like the, the relentless punctuation of the song in the beginning. Um And then how, you know, and then how the guitar comes in and something, it was something very I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure out what the word is. I don't know. It's not, I don't want to say primal, but like, it's just very driving and like. um Aggressive yeah yeah i don't yeah maybe maybe that's it but but it's also melodic like there's also you know it, it's um i'm I'm listening to it in my head trying to figure out what it is um it was just maybe it was just that it was different right like you know here comes your man amazing song not as different of a sound um you know la la love you very sweet um, but kind of an anomaly on the album, you know? um, it might be just that it was it was different in it. Like it was a different sound than we were used to hearing from other people. And so that might be what you know what sums it up for me with why that song was my favorite
0: well, i it's I, they just create a vibe. I, yeah. I just think like the 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 Pixies create a vibe like no other band. and um, you know for me, the basically, one of the highlights of twenty twenty for me through all the madness of the pandemic, being able to talk to black Francis in this exact setting, uh, was fucking crazy. We were supposed to talk about, uh, Leon Russell. That was the topic that he chose, but we ended up talking about his gentleman farming nearly the entire time for the podcast, because I, as he was talking, it, I, I realized like, I don't want to ask him about number 13 baby, or I don't want to ask him about, uh, Recording Doolittle. I want to hear about him making bread and cheese and yeah. his chickens. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. but, but but I also, you know, after we were done, I just I basically said, you know, thank you. You've basically provided the soundtrack to my life, and uh that's easily my my favorite Pixies song, number thirteen, baby. And that show that you missed with bronchitis was at the Music Box on Hollywood, across, uh, across from Pet Boys.
1: Yeah, no, I I remember my a couple of my friends I was supposed to go with when I was when I was really on the fence and like I don't want to miss it. They were like it's no seating. It's all standing. They're like you're not you you're not you're not going to be able to make it. Um but yeah, I, you know, I think that there's um There's something sexy about number thirteen. Yeah, you know, there's some songs that have a have a really cool kind of like aggressive eroticism about them, and I and I think that's number thirteen. Like, you know, again, I it's it's a slower beat than a lot of the songs I like. I always talk about you can dance to it being one of my qualifications, and you um, you can't really dance to number thirteen, but you could get like you could pick someone up to it. You know, you'd be sitting there at a party, like listening to it. And it's like, you know.
0: Well, I I, I guarantee you an old litmus test for me was the album Doolittle. Because, you know, I'm going to play it early on if we're on our second or third date. And uh, if you're not down with it, then I got to pull the plug. I'm so sorry. But because uh, this is going to be a part of our life. Are you going to share with me or not? And if you're not, well, you know. Good luck out there. L.A. is a huge place. Um, I said this on the podcast before. You missed the show with bronchitis. Uh, Right before the pandemic, they played at the Troubadour. And um, Uh, I had to leave. I had to leave halfway through because I had a stomach attack after having tacos from Guisados. I'm dead serious. I hate that. I've said this on this podcast before, but I I, I was sweating bullets and I knew that uh, I could tough it out for like another 45 minutes of the show. I almost made it all the way through, but I couldn't. And I just had to gently uh, fight my way through the crowd at the Troubadour because I was right in the front and, oh, and, get, wow. and, and get out just in the nick of time. What a terrible night.
1: You know, we didn't have to remember going to, um, tr- you know, shows at our age. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, oh! Are, are you kidding me? That's okay. the whole thing now. Well, you said standing for me, my back, my, <laughs> yeah. my, my back. I went and saw guided by voices. The last time they played LA, uh, at the telegram ballroom. And at some point, like midnight rolls around and they're playing for like three and a half hours. And I turn to my brother. I'm like, my back can't take it. Any, I gotta go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I have to go. I need to sit in the car at the very least. Yeah, because my back my back is screaming. Yeah. yeah. Dave, Dave Anthony and I went to um, Guns N' Roses. You know, the last time they they came through town before yeah. this current tour, and it was the same thing. They decided to play for three hours and forty five minutes, and I, I, after a while, it was like, dude, this I can't. I can't. Yeah. I can't. I'm supposed to be in bed by ten o'clock every night
1: yeah yeah it, it's kind of how i felt about the cure is like uh, the cure is the goth equivalent of a jam band <laughs> um, you know they really are an emo jam band and you're like you know at some point you know robert smith's just off noodling in his own sadness and you're like all right come on guys it's a half hour walk back to the car like yeah <laughs> friday i'm in love and let's get out of here Accidents Will Happen is
0: a song written by Elvis Costello. It first appeared on his 1979 album, Armed Forces, which he recorded with his band, The Attractions. Costello initially claimed to have written a song about an incident with a taxi driver in Tucson, Arizona. Costello claimed that he was falling in love with the taxi driver, but the romance fizzled after Costello began to argue with the woman over song choice on the radio. He wanted to listen to Freddie Fender, and she wanted to listen to Pink Floyd. That apparently is the story of accidents will happen. Tell me about your love of this song.
1: Um, this was one of those times when um, a guy being um, a gateway into music actually worked out well. Um, because I... Um, because, yeah... A, Um, a guy I knew in college played this album and, you know, and I think Elvis Costello was always that thing. Like I always was curious about, wanted to know more about, you know, there was the, um, you know, they talk about him in like less than zero, um, you know, the Elvis Costello poster and stuff on the, on the wall. And I, um, but, oh, actually, you know what? Not quite true. Sorry. I'm just remembering. i had heard Veronica. Um, Right when that single came out and that was like a more of a mainstream single for him. And um, by the way, found out later what that was about. That'll change how you view that song. And um, you know, it's about his, his grandmother having Alzheimer's, right?
0: I did not know that.
1: Oh, (laughs) Um, so, so not to digress, but I've seen Elvis Costello in concert probably four or five times. And I have to say for as amazing as his canon is, He's got a canon, so many different genres, so many different songs, all of it, 100% solid. He, for me, can be very hit or miss in concert, and I don't know exactly why that is. Almost like there's so great, much greatness there, he doesn't know how to focus it for an evening. So a couple of years ago, I got to see him at the Hollywood Bowl with the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra. And he was like very much like crooner Elvis coming out and playing sort of big band arrangements of all his songs. And he came out to sing Veronica and he explained that his grandmother had Alzheimer's. And so this was about her. It was about her. And when you've listened to this pop song about this woman for, you know, 25 years or something and then to like go through the lyrics and go oh, my God, he's absolutely right. It's about his grandmother with Alzheimer's. You're like, this is a much different experience. He So that song came out in high school, and I was like, oh, that's a fun song, whatever. But then, you know, again, you know, this album's from 1979. A guy started playing me armed forces, and I was like, I need to, again, I need to know everything this guy has ever done. And it's such a deep catalog. There's so much just fun like so i i i think about that song because it's the first song on the album it's just so iconic um and you know and he later did i don't know if you've ever heard he did a live slow version on the piano at live at alma combo that's really just beautiful as well. Um, and I just started, was like, I need everything that he's ever done. And, you know, back when you could, you could still pick up CDs and the bargain bin and it was like, get happy, blood and chocolate, all of them. Awesome. They, he came out with the Juliet letter somewhere in there. So good. I got into the early stuff, punch the clock and everything. And, you know, he's just, um, yeah, he's just, he's an incredibly accomplished musician
0: you know, the, well, not to combine two worlds, but the last time I saw Elvis Costello was when he opened up for the police at the Hollywood Bowl. Not to bring it back to every breath you take, but he was fantastic that night. Um,
1: you know, I saw him there. I saw that show, and I had seen the police earlier that summer at at Dodger, as I'm sure you did as well. And for me, the the, uh, the Costello police show at the at the Hollywood Bowl. It left me going, this is not enough of either of these acts. Mm, mm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I want, I want so much, but then I saw him with Blondie. Uh, it was like the last hurrah everybody had, right? Blondie and Elvis at the Greek two years ago, right before everything changed. And, and he was, he was wonderful. I thought he was fantastic.
0: Um, how are you feeling about going to see live music again? Do you have any specific plans to go see anyone coming up soon? Or are you still pumping the brakes on being in a giant crowd in Los Angeles?
1: You know, at at the beginning of the summer, I really wanted to go see Sergio Mendez. Um, he was at the bowl last Sunday and, um, and the bowl was having this thing. They weren't letting you buy tickets if you didn't have this, that, or the other thing at the time. and, And in retrospect, I have to say, like, it occurred to me last weekend. I'm like, oh, Sergio Mendez is tomorrow. I probably could have gotten tickets now. But then I was like, I was already back to going, I'm good. <laughs> I'm pumping the brakes on um, a lot of outings right now. I, I feel like I've kind of done my share of eating indoors. And um, like, I feel like, yeah, why? I don't want to push it. Let's see. Now that the kids are going back to school. And I think that's, I think we're going to see a lot of spikes because of that. You know, um, it's like, let's just, let's just see what happens. I, I don't relish everyone's like, Oh, what if you, what? even if you get it, once you're vaccinated, it's just a bad cold. I'm like, I don't want a bad cold. I don't want to lose my sense of smell or my sense of taste or, you know, any concert indoors, forget it. Like, mm-hmm. um, it, it's just, as it is, you're just pushed up against each other and on top of people, you know, um, yeah. Plus you could just go down to barbecues galore and, you know, catch a Dave Grohl sighting there.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, now you've, you've just revealed a Valley secret. Yeah. <laughs> the Valley secret is, uh, if your children attend certain schools in the San Fernando Valley, you may or may not end up being friends with Dave Grohl. There yeah. are also certain, uh, businesses that he may or may not frequent. Uh, he gave up his pizza parlor, which is now Gino's East on uh Riverside and whatnot. But uh, it, it, he is the prince of the valley.
1: Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. He. He loves the valley. <laughs> I love anybody who loves the valley.
0: Well, I think they've. I think the Foo Fighters' official headquarters, their studio space, their rehearsal space. I think it's in like deep Van Nuys, like in Warehouse District Van Nuys, not groovy, uh, affluent Van Nuys, but deep Van Nuys. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Didn't they? Isn't that a famous studio? Didn't they do a documentary on it or something?
0: They did. He has it. Well, they feature it in his new documentary, the one that he made about touring around in vans, which is a, actually a pretty fun and frivolous documentary if you, if you're into that kind of thing. All right, Tess, we've been chatting for an hour.
1: Wow, this is amazing. Like it went. <laughs> time flew. Um, thank you for thank you for handling my panic phone call yesterday.
0: <laughs> um, no, no, no. All you did was crush it. So I just want you to like again remind everybody where they can. Buy all things Tess Rafferty where they can participate uh in the mayhem.
1: So my new book, um, The Red, the Fed, and the Dead, will be out sometime this fall. You can buy it on Amazon.com, uh, under the Tuscan Gun and Buong Fatale are already out there. You can find me on Twitter at at Tess Rafferty. That's two S's and two F's. Um, also go to Tessrafferty.com. Uh search for me on substack. I've got I've got a newsletter that comes out there usually about once a week and um and I'm on Instagram at the test rafferty.
0: All you did was crush it. I am so grateful to you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you.
1: Thank you for having me, Brandon. I really appreciate it. It's been fun.
0: Thank you. And to the rest of you, thank you so much for listening, liking, subscribing, telling your friends. So many great guests coming down the pike. And of course, the BrandoCast is produced by Mr. Richard Sheltinga. So until the next time. Cats and kids.
1: Is it all in that pretty little head of yours? What goes on in that place in the dark? Well, I used to know a girl, and I could have sworn that her name was Mubarak. Well, she used to have care for me, man.